Welcome to Exhale Bible Discovery. Each week, we'll take a deep dive into the Bible, going line by line and chapter by chapter to discover the truths that God has for us in His Word. This is Dr. Paula McDonald with Exhale Bible Discovery, and we are on the 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And so are you ready to dig into the teachings of Paul via this book of Corinthians? Well, Paul wastes no time as he gets right to the point in this very first chapter. He is not one for mincing his words, and he gets to the point very directly as is his style in all of his writings. And Paul simply didn't have time to waste, and he knew this church and us as believers need desperately to be redirected. And so don't we all relate? We too often find ourselves needing redirection. And although this church existed centuries before us, the lessons in this letter to the Corinthians are still poignant and important today. So I have this lesson in two divisions. The first division is called a divided church, and that's verses 1 through 17. The second part is a united church, verses 18 through 31. All right, so as we enter this first nine verses in this opening statement to the church from Paul, he identifies himself and he personally addresses the church. And so in verse 1, it very specifically, Paul says he was called to be an apostle of Christ by the will of God with his brother Sosthenes. And last week in our intro lesson, and I hope you had time to listen to that, we really dug into who Paul, who he was. And here, He is identifying himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And an apostle is a person who initiates great moral reform or who first advocates an important belief system. And in this case, he is clearly identifying himself as Paul, who is an apostle of Jesus. And it's important to look at the Latin word apostolus which means ambassador, and the Greek term is apostolos, which means messenger. So we know Paul was an ambassador and a messenger for Christ. And then I think two important prepositions, the words of and by that are in that first verse, they are important because Paul is clearly letting the reader know that he was not acting on his own accord, but by the will of Christ. And additionally, he tells us that God is the head of the Godship by saying the will of God. And he also identifies this person named Sosthenes. Well, we have to go to Acts 18.17, where it says, Then all Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. So it is believed that this is the same person described here as a scribe for Paul. And it didn't end well for Sosthenes for doing the work for Paul, just as 
we know as being believers today, there are consequences many times for how we stand up for Christ. Verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ and called to be his holy people with all of those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord. You guys, there's a lot of action words here. We are called with those who are called. Lots of things that we are supposed to do. And so Paul here is telling us to whom this letter is being addressed, which is the church of God in Corinth, and to those sanctified in Jesus. That's us, you guys. The church belongs to God and to God alone. And so it's a huge lesson for us today as we argue over church names and denominations and other issues that divide our churches. And when any church or believer is fully grounded in Christ, Christ is the unifying factor, period. Nothing else matters. And it's not about religion. It's about Christ. And we need to keep him the main thing. Here, Paul is specifically defining this church in Corinth. First, he says those who are sanctified in Christ, which means to be sanctified is to be set apart for a sacred purpose. And as Christians, we are in a constant state of sanctification daily as we grow in Christ and will never be fully sanctified until we reach our maker in heaven. And two, those who are called to be his holy people. And so a calling requires a response. When we are called, it is up to us to answer that call. Apathy and a no response shows a person who has not accepted the call from Christ. And holiness means being devoted entirely to the work of the deity. And clearly, in order to be considered holy, we've got to devote our lives to Jesus in all that we do and say. And then the third point, he says, those who are called. And here Paul further defines the church as everyone who call on the name or claim the name of Jesus. And so all of us as believers, we belong to the church, Jesus's church, not our own man-made church. So let's move into verse three, where it says, grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here Paul specifically uses both a Greek and a Hebrew word for this passage, grace and peace. Grace calls attention to God's unspeakable gift to humanity. And the Hebrew salutation shalom means peace. A commonality of all of Paul's epistles drives this point home over and over again, that both Jew and Gentile, all people basically, are invited to come into the fold of the family of Christ. And then he uses the word Lord very specifically to point to the fact of what it means in the Old Testament as Yahweh or Jehovah. And the word Yahweh, which is salvation, it means salvation. The word Christ is the ancient Greek translation of the Hebrew word for Messiah or anointed one. So therefore, the message about Jesus was foretold 
in the Old Testament by calling him Lord. So it further identifies him as the true Savior and the Messiah. Then verse 4, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given in Christ Jesus. Well, Paul's style was to address his audience with love for them. And he's telling them and to us today that because of the grace that we receive from Christ, that he, Paul, is extending this grace to all of us fellow believers. And what a great reminder for all of us who claim to be Christians. What if we were to extend to one another true grace? I bet a lot of the problems in our churches would not be there. Verse 5 and 6, For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among us. And because believers have Jesus within us, we have been enriched in every way. And do you see this powerful truth when we allow Christ to lead our lives? He will provide us with his words and his gifts as believers. And we are to continually seek to find those spiritual gifts. The church in Corinth was well known to possess highly intelligent people who were all very gifted in speech. Verse 7, he then says, Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gifts as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, Paul confirms and affirms to the believers that they possessed many spiritual gifts given to them by the Holy Spirit. And this again is a great reminder for each of us to understand that we too, we too, you guys, have spiritual gifts. We've been given them. God did not overlook any of us. So we have no excuses, right? (laughs) And so verse 8 says, He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, another encouraging statement reminding the Corinthians and us that with him, He alone will sustain us even in hard times. And in verse 9, God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. And again, God does not make any mistakes. He is faithful. He does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. When he sent Jesus to us, he served as a personal, in-person invitation to be in fellowship with Almighty God. What a beautiful introduction that Paul sends the Corinthians and to us today. It's a great lesson as we address issues with our fellow believers. When we build up the body and then take care of business through Christ, it's all going to be okay. And therefore, we are reminded to whom we are serving and why we need to hear this message. So right after all of this nice, lovely introduction, Paul goes right into the next section of this chapter to solely focus on the main message that Paul had for this church at Corinth. And he lays out the issue of the divisions within the church, the causes, and how they were missing the point of what Christ brought to us. So right now in verse 10, we see a shift in the narrative. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord, that all of you agree with one another in what you say 
and that there be no divisions among you, but that you will be perfectly united in mind and thought. Well, here he's putting it out there. He is appealing to the Corinthians and to us. It's a plea to please listen and to understand that what he has to say is important. And he addresses them as brothers and sisters in Christ because he is identifying with them. And he makes several strong points right here in this one verse. One, he is speaking to all of them. None of them were without error, and they all needed to hear this message. Secondly, they needed to agree with one another in what was being said and taught. And this specifically means that their agreement regarding being in line with Christ, with their spoken word, was essential. If they were truly grounded in Christ, their words as believers would be in line. Three, they were not to be divided. And again, as a body of believers in Christ, they should not allow non-essential Christian teachings to cause any divisions. And the Greek word for division is shishmata, and that's S-C-H-I-S-M-A-T-A which means to rend or to tear. So Paul's plea is that they stop ripping each other apart and tearing up the body of Christ. Wow, does this sound familiar today? I can certainly relate to fellow Christians who are bearing their torches and ripping other Christians apart. And it's not Christ-led in any form. And Paul is pointing it out right here. Then in the last point, number four, that he wanted them to be perfectly united in mind and thought. And when believers put their own personal agendas aside and focus only on the message of Christ, we will then be perfectly united. And the only way for us to achieve this is to study and know the word of God. Well, then in verse 11, he says, again, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Well, Chloe was most likely a respected member of the church and a woman of good character and good standing, which means that someone from this upstanding household alerted Paul that there were problems and issues within the church. And then in verse 12, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. And another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Here, Paul gets to the crux of the situation, which is they are being man-focused rather than Christ-focused. And I believe this is one of the first statements in the Bible that shows us the folly of what we do today when we say, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Methodist. And obviously, there was trouble from within because the focus of these different sects, S-E-C-T-S, of the church was on people rather than on Christ. And so then in verse 13, he poses a a funny question, (laughs) really. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? He's kind of getting snarky with them because he's he's put out. And so 
When he says, is Christ divided? Of course, it's a rhetorical question, but intended to show the silliness of their division. Christ is the only Savior, and he alone cannot be divided. And then he says, was Paul crucified for you? And it's another pointed question to show them that he, Paul, was not the one who was the Savior of men. And then three, he points out, were you baptized in the name of Paul? And he says, no, baptism is done in the name of Jesus alone. And these questions were intended to point out the ridiculousness for their divisions. And Paul turns their attention and focus back on to Christ. He never takes credit for what that which belongs to Jesus alone. As we move into verses 14 and 15, I thank God that I did not baptize any of you. And he goes on to say some of those that he did. Because what he's doing is he's taking it a step further. Because most likely, there were some who were claiming a higher status because they had a close relationship with Paul. And, oh, well, Paul baptized me kind of thing. And he wants people to fully understand that he did not take credit for the baptisms he performed because they were done for and in Christ. And then verses 16 and 17, he says, yes, that he did baptize some of these people, but for Christ did not send me to baptize, but really sent him to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And I like the message Paul tells them in these verses. He knows the purpose that Christ has for him, and that is to preach the gospel. He knows his place, and he lets them know that he acknowledges his limitations as a mere human, just as they are. And he continues throughout his ministry to never, ever put himself above Christ. So your truth bomb for this section is when believers lose sight of Christ, they lose their focus of the Savior. And so your call to action are, are there ways that you have lost your Christ-led focus? And if so, what needs to change? Well, now we move into the last section, a united church, verses 18 through 31. And this final half of this chapter now focuses on what actually has caused these divisions in the church. And if we look right at verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And Paul's telling us that those who do not believe in Christ and what he did for us on the cross, they are the ones who are perishing. So anyone who believes what Christ did do on the cross, they are the living ones and the ones who reject Christ. They are foolish as they are dying and are spiritually dead. So this is a powerful truth that if each of us truly comprehended what this really means, I believe our knees would just buckle. What Christ did for us on that day, it blows my mind. And because of his sacrifice, we have unbelievable power within us through this gift from the Holy Spirit. And this alone should overwhelm us into a posture of worship. Verse 19 goes on, he will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligence, he will frustrate. And Paul is referring to a passage from Isaiah 29, 14, talking about 
the wise being referred to in both these passages has to do with the wisdom of what the world calls wisdom, not wisdom in Christ. Because those who trust in their own mind and in their own intelligence, they are going to be the ones who are shown as foolish. And in verse 20, he says, where is this wise person? Where is the teacher of the law, the philosopher of this age? And in this time period that this was written, the city of Corinth was a very wealthy port and attracted a lot of intellectuals. So people were very enamored by these intellectual types. And what Paul is pointing out is when discussing spiritual matters, God's wisdom is above all man's wisdom. In all things that God ordains, anything coming from man will never be equal to God. And then in verse 21, he goes on to talk more about this wisdom of God and the foolishness of what those who perceive to be wisdom and the standards from a worldly perspective believe that they are above God. Worldly intellect that does not align with God is wisdom that will never hold water. The wise of the world consider Christianity to be foolish. However, God uses what those who consider foolish to enter into eternity with him. Paul isn't refuting all knowledge, but he is pointing out that knowledge without God is simply that, man-made knowledge. And as we go into verses 22 through 24, he talks about how the Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and in the wisdom of God. Wow. Paul delineates in those days that the Jews were always looking for that sign of their Messiah as this royal king coming valiantly in on a horse. And we know he came in on a lowly donkey and they were looking in the wrong place and they were missing the signs because they expected something different. The Greeks were using their man-made wisdom to measure everything against that. Their own finite intellect caused them to miss the message of the cross. And so both parties were missing the most wonderful truth of all, Jesus Christ, who came to save all who called upon him. And so the cross is the crux of the Christian movement. Nothing can replace the doctrine and truth that a sinless man, Christ, chose to take the sins of the world so that you and I could be saved and spend eternity with him in heaven. And so this last verse again tells us, for those whom God has called and believers, you guys, we are given the power and the wisdom of God. Those are gifts. Verse 25, he goes into talking more about the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And because so many can't fathom salvation through Jesus, who is nailed to a cross, and they mocked him and us who believed in this. And what appeared to be weakness of Christ on that cross turned out to be the most amazing event in human history. Salvation is not the achievement of human wisdom. It is the perfect embrace 
of God's dramatic and unexpected act of love at Calvary that defeated it all. And then in verse 26, he again addresses brothers and sisters. Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential or were of noble birth. You guys, we are to look inward at our fallen selves because none of us on our own are worthy to be called by God. Yet, God calls us despite our human flaws and inadequacies. And this is to clearly show us that we alone can do nothing. We must have him. Verse 27, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the weak things of the world to shame the strong. What a strong warning to not become high and mighty. And apparently many Christians of this church at Corinth believed that they were above others. And Paul is telling us very clearly that this is never to be the case. As believers, we are to be humble in spirit and giving the glory only to him. And so in verses 28 through 29, God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that none may boast before him. Jesus' disciples were not from nobility or for wealth. They were everyday people like you and I. None of us are ever called because we are above anyone else. And then in verse 30, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Jesus constantly gave God credit for all that he had, his father. He always talked about his father. He provides us with how we too are to be humble in spirit. Our wisdom comes from him and is nothing that we can achieve on our own. We are righteous, holy, and redeemed only because of the free gift that Jesus gave to each of us. And then the last verse, 31, therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So if you want to brag on something, it should be about the kingdom of God, period. So your truth bomb is believers must fully rely on Christ as the only source for all things. We can do nothing without the power we receive from the Holy Spirit. And so your call to action, how are you fully relying on God in your life? And are there areas you need to let go of and let God? So in summary, this lesson is very powerful. And as we continue to study Paul, he has laid down the expectations that God is first, we are second. And if we keep this profound teaching front and center, I believe many of our issues and problems within our churches and Christian brothers and sisters would simply disappear. Perhaps we should be in deep prayer regarding true unity among believers. I hope you've enjoyed this first lesson and you'll dig into chapter two with me next time. And so have a great week and remember Christ first, we're second. Be sure to visit my website, drpaulamcdonald.com, click on podcast and then exhale Bible discovery for self-study guides and resources to support you with each episode.